All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. Let's start with the situation on the ground. Uh, things continue to look bad for the, uh, the Ukraine military in the, in the usual spots that we've been talking about for weeks now. Bakhmut, Uglodar, uh, these areas in the Donbass. We have uh, the, I think this has been confirmed, the decree that, uh, that the Ukraine military is going to extend martial law by 90 days, that the government is going to extend martial law by 90 days, and that I believe uh, conscription is going to be lowered, uh, registration into the military is going to be lowered to 16 years old. I think that's now confirmed. We have another purge underway. This time the Minister of Defense is out and it looks like we're going to get a very hawkish uh, military intel chief. A very young, by the way, I learned he's 37 in Budanov as the new Minister of Defense. That's the rumor. I don't think, I don't think that part has been confirmed, but it does look like Reznikov is out. He was embroiled in various scandals. Uh, anyway, a food supplies scandal. And we have all kinds of other rumors floating around. Very hard to, to confirm these rumors. One has to do with, with Morovechki and some statements he made during a conference connected to Ukraine. But tough to, uh, to confirm this at the moment. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about this perhaps very carefully and very briefly. But... Yes. Let's, let's start as we always do with the situation on the ground. I think you again described it very well. The Russians are putting pressure now, and it, I think this is their tactic. They're putting pressure on every part of the front line. So they're uh, uh, putting pressure in Zaporozhye region. They're pressing forward in Ugladar in the south of Donetsk, and I think that is, by the way, as I said, I, I've discussed this on my channel. I think this is a real. It's a serious offensive. I think that they've not thrown everything they've got into this, but I do think they are planning at some proximate point in the near, in the not too different, distant future to capture Vugladar. But in the meantime, pushing against Vugladar is causing Ukraine to reassign reserves from other fronts to Vugladar, weakening those other fronts. And what, what has happened is that the Ukrainians apparently transferred a lot of troops from the north, from Kharkov region, to try to hold the line in Vugladar. And the Russians then, what they did, they immediately took advantage of that. And they've started uh, an offensive of some sort in Kharkov region, pushing on towards Kupiansk. Now, Kupiansk is an important town on the Oskol River. It was the prize that Ukraine captured during its Kharkov offensive of September. If the Russians were to capture Kupiansk, and I'm not saying that's their immediate plan, but if they were, then the whole Kharkov offensive of, the, of September will have gone into reverse. But anyway, the Russians are putting pressure on every part of the Ukrainian lines. They're, they're forcing Ukraine to transfer troops from one part of the front to another part. Ukraine is very short of troops on its front lines. That's now, I think, becoming increasingly clear. You're absolutely correct. They seem to be expanding constantly their conscription drives. They're reducing the age at which people must register to 16, which is extraordinary. 
they're apparently willing now to press into the army people who have uh, infirmities or disabilities, and it goes all the way up to uh, 59, I think it was even 60, I'm not absolutely sure, but, you know, higher ages. And the key battle, the Battle of Bakhmut, I think that yesterday the British Ministry of Defence essentially confirmed that it's now in the end game, definitely. I mean, the roads leading into Bakhmut, the British Ministry of Defence says that the Russians are able to shell all of them. Ukraine's having real problems keeping its troops in Bakhmut. Supplied a Ukrainian um, soldier, said that the life expectancy of any untrained Ukrainian soldier sent to Bakhmut is just four hours, which is horrifying if it's true. And even if it's not exactly and literally true, it is indicative of how bad the situation there is. And um, we're getting lots of reports. There was a cascade of reports over the last 24 hours of the Russians making big advances, it, well, significant advances in and around Bakhmut, uh, capturing or, or pressing forward in various villages around Bakhmut, approaching the roads leading to Bakhmut, remaining roads leading to Bakhmut, taking more of the city itself. There's now fighting going on inside Bakhmut. They're pressing through Bakhmut from the south, pressing through Bakhmut from the north. Um, they're also closing in on a place uh, further north, a town further north called Seversk. They're putting pressure, as I said, on every part of the front line, and Bakhmut itself, one senses that the fight there is really now very much in its final stages. Okay, so let's now talk about the latest perch. This is perch number three, I believe, round the number three. And this time it looks like it looks like we got the the exit of the Minister of Defense, though he may be transferred to another ministry or something along those lines, and you have the, I guess it would be the promotion of the Intel military chief, Budanov, to the uh, Ministry of Defense, a pretty hawkish character, if the rumors turn out to be true. So uh, what do you make of this latest shakeup? I, I think there are more than rumors, actually. I mean, first of all, the dismissal of Reznikov, the defense minister, is indisputably true. I mean, it's all over the media in Ukraine. It's inconceivable by now that that's not happening. Um, and, of course, it's all connected to corruption allegations. But, of course, in Ukraine, corruption allegations can be directed to pretty much anybody. <laughs> They've been specifically directed at Reznikov in order, it seems to me, to get him out of his position as defence minister. And he's apparently been offered a job as Minister of Strategic Industries, he says he doesn't want to accept it. He doesn't want to accept the post of Minister of Justice, which is another one, apparently, that was offered to him. And he seems to be signalling that he doesn't want to be part of the Ukrainian government at all and isn't happy with his sacking. So there's a lot, a lot going there. But Reznikov, clearly, you change your defence minister in the middle of a war, that's a big event, a... Defence Minister is an important person, in, especially in a country at war. Reznikov was therefore one of the big figures in Kiev. The fact that he's been removed is another sign that this purge, 
And it is basically a single purge, which has been ongoing now for several weeks, is continuing to gather momentum. And he is the biggest figure so far to fall. Bear in mind that there's been all kinds of people now removed from the top layer of the political leadership. Now, why has he gone? And I'm going to come back to the theory that um, we've discussed before, because I think this is the correct one. Reznikov, from what one can tell, was an ally of Zelensky's. I mean, you know, the, the, he formed part of the same team, if you like, that Zelensky uh, was was a part of. So removing Reznikov weakens further that team and isolates Zelensky even more. Now, coming to his replacement, again, so far it's not confirmed that Kirill Budanov, the former intelligence chief, is going to be the new defence minister. But again, there are so many reports that he will be that I frankly think it's a certainty that he will be. I think it'd be a real surprise if he is not. He is very hawkish. He's said that the negotiations that took part in took place in March were simply the case of Ukraine stringing the Russians along. Now that means, if you think about it, that it's all but inconceivable that the Russians would agree to negotiate with a government in which he was a in which he was a in which he formed a part. But there's another thing about Reznikov. He doesn't look like a person that he would appoint to the defence ministry at this time. He's, as you said, very young. He's very inexperienced. He's a former special forces officer. He doesn't have the kind of managerial experience and background that you would expect of a defence minister. But he is said to be very close to the United States and to the special services of the United States. And I've heard this now for quite a long time. He's been given an awful lot of prominence recently. He's been giving interview after interview. We've discussed in previous programmes on the Duran how it looked like he was angling for some important position in the Ukrainian government. We even speculated that he might be that you know they might be preparing him to become president. He might be angling to become president in place of Zelensky at some point. I have to say, if that is the case, making him defence minister brings brings him closer to that position. And as I said, he is one of America's men in Kiev, or so the rumor goes, and I think that is likely. And I suspect the people who are driving this purge are the Americans, or at least one faction in the United States. Zelensky has seen his allies picked off one by one. He's been isolated. And now this person who's independent of Zelensky, who's not part of the Zelensky team, has been brought a significant step closer to the centre of power. He doesn't look like, as I said, an obvious person for defence minister, but he's photogenic, he's relatively young, he's connected to the Americans, and he's got some connections to the military, obviously, so he could potentially be somebody who might be placed close to the centre of power so that he can eventually step in 
to the center of power and take over from Zelensky if that eventually becomes the plan. Yeah, Zelensky's uh, support is being chipped away slowly, slowly. He's losing all of his his guys with each passing week. Another one is uh, is taken away from him and he's being isolated. And Budanov is, uh, is definitely, I would say, a neocon. Uh, he's, he's hawkish. He is a neocon uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, favorite. Yeah. He's very, very hawkish. Yes. And so I, I, I can definitely, he seems very ambitious as well. So I can definitely see him as, uh, as a potential, I don't know, he could be like Guaido to Guaido. You know, yeah, Zelensky exactly. is Guaido, then Budanov is, is Zelensky's Guaido in a way. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, uh, he, 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 he wants in, he, he wants to yeah. be president. Uh, yeah, that's I that's how so. I view uh, I, I, Budanov. That's yeah. exactly what I think. And now you see this rather ambitious, this extremely ambitious man, well-connected man. He's, as I said, he's got the intelligence apparatus. Uh, he controlled the intelligence apparatus, the military intelligence apparatus, which has done an awful job, by the way. But that's another story. I mean, look at how they can't work out where this Russian offensive is going to come from. I, I mean, there was a comical article. I mean unintentionally comic article in the Daily Telegraph the other day where they were talking to, you know, various Ukrainian officials. And the Ukrainian officials say, yeah, you know, we think there's going to be an, a, Ukraine, a Russian offensive and it could come from the north or the northeast or the east or the south southeast or the south. It could come from almost anywhere, in other words. So we, we haven't been able to work it out. So, you know, this is Ukrainian intelligence. They can't figure out something like that. So it doesn't look like a very effective and successful intelligence service. But importantly, it does mean that Budanov has various spooks, <laughs> probably keeping an eye on things in Ukraine as well. And the rumours are that his uh, um, acolytes are also going to take over the SBU, which is the civilian police, uh, law enforcement intelligence, counterintelligence, secret police organization, if you like, that functions in Ukraine. So it looks to me as if all the threads are coming into Budanov's hands. And at the same time, as you absolutely rightly say, he's very closely connected to the Americans. So it, it's unsurprising in a way. Zelensky, as we've discussed many times, volatile, unstable. Um, he came close or so it seems to doing a deal with the Russians back in March you have Budano saying oh that wasn't real it was all you know Zelensky himself uh, stringing the Russians along which strongly suggests or implies that Budanov is totally opposed to any deals with the Russians and if you're a neocon that's the kind of person you want in charge in Kiev somebody you can absolutely rely on fight the Russians to the last Ukrainian, in effect, and at the same time, who was loyal to the United States. So it's unsurprising that with the United States funding everything now that matters in Ukraine, equipping the military to the extent that the military in Ukraine is still being equipped, increasingly directing military strategy, that they've decided that they want their own people in charge in Kiev, and that's what this purge is about. 
Yeah, uh, the, the Biden White House, I think they uh, they understood that perhaps uh, Alinsky was feeling too too comfortable and too close to the uh, to the Europeans in a way, and and I imagine that the the neocons they definitely want someone who's a hundred percent under their uh, their control. Not that Absolutely. not that Zelensky wasn't under their control, but. It was clear that that he was much more comfortable hanging out with like the Ursulas and the Marcarutes and and people like like this, the Boris Johnsons. And, oh, absolutely! You know, he, that was that's his that's his style. Yeah, and, that's his. Uh, that, and I think the the neocons, yeah, they, they would exactly, like to change that. That's exactly right. It's that's his scene, and of course he's he's as I said eccentric. He's unusual. <laughs> He turns up to Congress in a you know Che Guevara type costume, not not a good call. So as I said, they want somebody who is more reliable, more disciplined, more uh, fervid, fervid, more you know, and also is definitely hawkish. more <laughs> hawkish, <possible>. more hawkish <laughs> if that's possible, and absolutely their man. So that's that's it seems to me what they're getting. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that Zelensky is going to be out tomorrow or next week, but I'm sure that he must be getting increasingly worried about the situation because all the people who were close to him, as I said, are being picked off one by one. He's lost Aristovich. He's lost uh, Reznikov. These were two of his key people. He's never got on particularly well with Kuleba, the foreign minister. There was even talk before the war that Kuleba was scheming to get rid of Zelensky. And apparently the reason Kuleba was there was because the Americans wanted him. And now the Americans have got their own man. When we say the Americans, we mean the neocons, have got their own man, Budanov, and he's going to take over as defence minister where he's very well positioned to make a move against Zelensky, if that's what the neocons decide. Okay, so uh, let's talk about uh, Poland. And uh, there, there is a conference that is taking place, I believe, today, maybe even tomorrow. And uh, the Polish Prime Minister, Morawiecki, he uh, was just speaking at this conference. And he said some interesting things that are confirmed and there's another thing that he allegedly said, another statement, which I cannot confirm it, Alexander. And it's, 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 it's hard to believe that he made that statement. So let me just tell you the statements that he made, which are confirmed. And uh, I'm taking this from um, Polish media, but this is confirmed, these, uh, these statements from uh, Morawiecki as he was speaking at this conference to, uh, to support Ukraine. He urged the, uh, the collective West that, and I quote, now is not the time for a ceasefire. Today, Ukraine needs our support and hope. This hope is being born in Poland. Morawiecki also added that this hope is a seed from which may develop an entirely new geopolitical order. He's right about a new geopolitical order. That's, that's for sure. And he also stated that we are facing a clear choice, Poland, the collective West. We are facing a clear choice, either a victory over Russia and a defeat for the West or a renaissance of Western civilization. Interesting statements from Morawiecki. He is trying to frame this now as a, as a clash between civilizations. 
and he's digging in. He is digging in. He says it. There is no time. Now is not the time for a ceasefire. And yeah. uh, we also have reports of some of the first leopard tanks, by the way, making their way to, to Poland. I, I believe uh, a couple of leopards from Canada arrived today to Poland. And now just let me tell you a statement that is not confirmed. And I have doubts about this statement. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read it and uh, we, can, we can take it from there. Uh, Morawiecki allegedly allegedly said that uh, it would be in uh, Ukraine's best interest if it fell under the protectorate of the Polish state. He also said that he does not think that Putin would dare to attack a country that is a current NATO member. He is anything but suicidal. I, I really don't... I don't know. I haven't seen, once again, I'll say the last statement. This last statement that I read, to me, I haven't seen any news source pick this up and, and confirm it. So I don't know, but I'm just throwing it out there. And if it is true, then it's true. But the other statements that I read are definitely uh, confirmed. Absolutely. From, uh, the Polish prime minister. Absolutely. And can I just say that the other statements, the ones about, you know, that this is the great opportunity, either we win, in which case we have this great renaissance for the West, or we lose, in which case it's a dark age for the West. It exactly echoes, to an extraordinary degree, what Robert Kagan has just written in a long piece that he's just published in Foreign Affairs, which is a U.S. magazine, Robert Kagan, Victoria Newland's uh, um, husband, the chief ideologue of the of the neocons, and of course this article in Foreign Affairs, it's a free world for the for, you know a free a free world if you can keep it or whatever it was. I mean, the, 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 this is the idea that you know we can we can gain. This free world, which, of course, is the neocon vision of the world. All we have to do is to go on prosecuting this war in Ukraine, defeat the Russians there. Simple thing to do, very easy thing to do, according to Robert Kagan, in which case, if we win, we will have all of this. We will have the, we will have the free world for the taking. And, of course, Morawiecki says the same, essentially exactly the same thing. So it shows you the extent to which... The neocons and the current Polish government are working in harmony. I, 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 the coincidence of language and perspective is so strong that I cannot believe that there isn't a general, uh, a genuine exchange of ideas and communications going on between Warsaw and Washington between people like Kagan and Newland and Morawiecki. I don't think I'm, what, what I've just said is even controversial, actually. So that gives you the, that, that gives you this idea. You know, we must keep on the war. No, no suggestion of ceasefires, nothing like that. We must fight it to the last Ukrainian, if necessary, because and notice, notice also that neither Kagan nor indeed Morawiecki, seem ultimately to be so concerned with Ukraine itself. They're not talking about the Ukrainian people, what happens to Ukraine, the Ukrainian nation. They're talking instead about this great victory for the West, or potential defeat for the West, 
that's what this is all about. It's not even about Ukraine in the end. It's a bigger, grander game that they're both playing. About, about the fact that these words were said, about that there is no issue at all. And it just goes to show how extreme and grandiose and detached from reality and, in my opinion, inhuman, the thinking of the neocons, which is clearly shared by Morawiecki, has become. So that's the first thing to say. I think this is all absolutely true. Second thing to say is about the tanks. Leopard 2s coming from Germany, coming from Canada, astonishingly, so far, not coming from any of Germany's European allies. <laughs> the, all those people who ganged up on Germany and said Germany must supply Leopard 2s, it turns out they're not too keen to send Leopard 2s as well. And I gather the Germans are very, very upset about this. And they're now talking increasingly about sending Leopard 1s, which, to be straightforward about it, as a tank designed in the 1950s, if it's sent to Ukraine to make up the numbers because there aren't enough Leopard 2s, well, that is a recipe for military disaster and lots of people I've spoken to about this and heard from and have been writing to me and things I've also read all confirm that. I'm just saying that in passing. I don't want to dwell on this. Now, the third point, which is these other reported comments of Morawiecki, I can't confirm them either. Effectively, Ukraine subordinating itself to Poland and I've even seen a report. The Western territories. The Western uh, territories, exactly. Allegedly, he said the Western. I, exactly. I, being, once again, this being, is being completely unconfirmed. Being transferred voluntarily by Ukraine to Poland for a temporary period so that Poland can provide them with protection. Well, I have to say, I haven't seen any confirmation of this. I, I find it difficult to believe that Morawiecki would talk as openly about something like that as these reports say. But if he did say that, then I'm going to say something else. It, he may be using the language of the neocons, but it looks to me as if he would be angling for a land grab, pure and simple, a land grab for Poland pure and simple, which is pretty cynical. I mean, which suggests the Poles are using the neocons as they're using the Ukrainians. But before I you know, go into this and dwell into all of that and discuss what it means, I, I think we really want to be sure that he really did say that because it, it, it looks so extraordinary and so um, cynical and so aggrandizing that... Um, I find it difficult, to, as I said, to believe yet that he said it. And I've seen the same reports as you, and I haven't been able to find um, links that take us directly to these comments from Morawiecki. doesn't mean he didn't say them, because, you know, there might be some reluctance to <laughs> provide links. But having said that, I would, st I would still want to see some proof that he did say them, before discussing it in more detail. And can I say that's an invitation. If anybody wants to sort of email us with any such links, 
then, you know, we'll be interested. I certainly would be interested to see them. But at the moment, I haven't seen any. And I don't want to say more. Yeah, I haven't seen any any source links for that either. So the first uh, the first couple of quotes, though, were from his uh, yeah, from, from his statements. Those absolutely. are confirmed. And those, are, those, I think, are interesting, interesting enough. I think absolutely. the other quotes may be some sort of, I don't know, just taking it a bit too far, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, well let's let's wait yeah. and see. I mean, you know, if he yeah. if he has uh, if he has said see, if yeah. he has said it, that's big news. And I, I, I'm not going to say more than that until I know that he has said it. I mean, just one thing: if he has said it, if he really did say something like that, then it's not just a uh, he's not just aiming for a land grab. He's all but admitting that Ukraine is going to lose the war. Because why else would you want Western Ukraine to come under Polish protection? But before we unpack that and discuss it and analyse it, let's just make sure that he really did say it. Because it seems such an extraordinary thing for the Prime Minister of Poland to say that I, I, I find it extraordinary that he would say it. We have lots of people following well, I think us in Poland. Maybe they know and can inform us whether he did, in fact, say this very thing. Yeah, well, just in closing, I think the the uh, the article from Kagan, as well as uh, Morawiecki's uh, statements with regard to uh, to the West fighting against Russia, I think that that already that 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 alone is an admission that Ukraine has lost the war because they are trying to to change the narrative, to shift the narrative from uh, Russia against Ukraine to this is now an a battle of civilizations. I mean, they are moving the goalpost in a way, and and they're admitting that you know this is Ukraine has lost. Yes, Ukraine has lost, but this is not about Ukraine. This is about the West fighting, fighting Russia, and which civilization is going to come out on top. So, in a way, they're trying to to frame it so that Ukraine was just a battle in this civilizational war between Russia and the West. That's how Kagan and Morawiecki seem to be positioning this now. I think I guess it's an extremely good point, actually. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that talking about things in these grandiose existential like, words, you know, you know, Ukraine is just, a, you know, this is a battle. But, you know, ultimately what is at stake is the future. Well, that tells you that they they sense that Ukraine itself is losing the war. Things are going wrong, but they have to somehow keep this thing going. They have to try and enlarge it. They have to increase the degree of commitment behind this war because, of course, Ukraine is just an expendable ca casualty in this grand project for, you know, victory for the forces of light over the forces of darkness. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It's the kind of rhetoric that you get from a side when it knows it's losing. And that's that's what's coming. And it also it, it's it's it provides a very interesting insight into the kind of thinking of these people and how they tend to think in these surrealist terms, in existential terms, and how ultimately cynical they are about the people they pretend they're helping because it reduces the Ukrainians to pawns in some grand chess game, which is what the neocons have always been about. But at the same time, the very fact that they have to talk in this way 
shows that they sense that it's all going wrong and that Ukraine is going down. Well, it was a it was a um, a chess piece. Absolutely, yes. It's regime change for Russia. Absolutely. That's, at the end of the day, that's that's what it was all about. Absolutely, of course it was. Exactly yeah. so. Okay, we'll end it there. Thedorad.locals.com and look for us on Locals as well. We are, I said that, <laughs> look for us on Rockfin. And then you can find us on uh, the Dorad shop as well. Uh, link is down below in the description box. Take care.